ースがあるんです。メイがおばけのトトロに出会いました。私は自分も会えたらいいなと思っています。Thank you for watching over May and making us feel so welcome here. Please continue to look after us. Last one home's around May. Okay, welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza, talking about uh, Miyazaki's uh, 1988 My Neighbor Totoro. Um, I'm here, of course, with Jay Andrew World. Hey, uh, Kanichiwa. <laughs> Karthik, you know, back again, hanging out. Uh, Alien Encounters on Substack and, uh, you know, um, Revolutionary Tracks with Left Flank Vets. You're still doing that, right? Yeah, occasionally, every now and then. <laughs> And of course, Neocola back again. Uh, log off already is 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 uh, uh, her and Cole's uh, you know Twitch stream and, and Marina now too. And um, yeah, I'm happy that everyone's here on this Thursday when we're competing with Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal right now. To you know, <laughs> he's doing a lot. Our sworn enemy for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we're also competing with uh, Log Off already. Yeah, just <laughs> not live. Um, so yeah, so, uh, Karthik, so reading your, um, uh, reading your letterbox review, 
on on this movie i i noticed that you're talking about like you know pessimism and um childhood and kind of the way that this movie portrays that and it's kind of interesting that i think uh i think this movie does i mean it has pessimistic elements right like the it's children dealing with grief um or dealing with you know their their mother being sick in the hospital and they're kind of um you know uh, reconnecting to nature and childhood and like those themes and miyazaki when you actually look at him is like a pretty pessimistic uh person i think um and so i have this clip where it's from uh they did a, a documentary about studio ghibli and um and he's talking about dreams and uh it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty pessimistic and i thought this would be an interesting starting point for this conversation <laughs> あ、ゲームは。あの、ね、僕の説得とか。いや、それ、あの、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ、それ
It's like felt, but I mean, it's not fluffy. It's not like furry, but it's soft. Mm. Pillow like. <laughs> it's funny also that like it, it is supposed to be like a soft furry beast because literally like Totoro is like troll. So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like it's, that's the, um, and I think that they were, they were worried when like redubbing it in English that it was going to lose some of the meaning for what uh, Totoro was supposed to mean in, in Japanese. But like well, I mean, the, it's going to lose meaning anyways, because uh, when we get uh, films from, uh, especially anime from Japan, um, uh, there's actually a word for it where, where they actually like recontextualize everything for the audience. Yeah. So they make it more Western. Um and usually that's with the subbed version as opposed to the dubbed. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the dubbed is opposed. Yeah. Yeah, the, the dubbed, dubbed, dubbed is the, the English. The dubbed is the English one. Yeah. The subs are the yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the doms and the subs. And <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, no, no, but uh, the, 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 the subtitled ones uh, usually are closer. But like I was watching the subtitled ones and, and I don't, I'm not fluent in Japanese. I know enough Japanese to pretend I'm Pete uh, Buttigieg. And say I speak eight languages, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, like like I know that that like um, you know she said what, and uh, like like the the subtitle said something totally different, and I'm just like I know enough Japanese to know that's wrong, and there, there's a few cases like that. So I imagine like even the uh, uh, the subtitles aren't you know uh, necessarily literal, uh, but I think they worked well enough because like you know sometimes when you mean what you don't necessarily mean what you mean you know you mean it as uh yes yeah and yes. and and japanese is one of those languages right like the tone and like the tone matters in terms yeah. of context as much as anything else and like the way that you say things kind of emphasize means something sometimes different so i don't i mean i i feel like we like that doesn't translate over to english as well as uh you know because i know i know miyazaki um they had a whole debacle with one of his movies getting um getting like a like an english version like getting dubbed and um and none of the stuff translated and there was like these huge misunderstandings and he didn't want to release my neighbor totoro because he he said like in, in the u.s as like a as like a dubbed movie because he was like i don't think that this movie is going to translate over hmm. as well yeah well it's 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 one of his more shinto films uh because there's a lot of shintoism but in his films, but the, like it's not obliquely, you know, Shinto. Um, so, so like the the forest creatures and and um, the spirits and stuff that you see in this and um, uh, Spirited Away uh, and things like that are are, are very uh, much inspired by Shinto. But it's kind of like the prophecy. If you've ever seen the prophecy with Christopher Walken, like that's not a biblical movie. Um, mm. But like it's about heaven and hell, and and it's a lot of fun. So uh, it, it's it's definitely worth watching. But like it's inspired by Christianity, and this is inspired by Shinto. Like like these Totoros are his own creation, but you can see it built on the foundation of Shintoism. Yeah, and and you know there's the whole like spiritual connection to the to the forest, right? Like the forest spirits, they're giving them a greeting, and it's and interesting. Ghost. I think that like. But like it's interesting that like the the dad seems to be um, versed in this, maybe like not quite taking it seriously because you know it's his kids being like, "Wow, we saw this giant Totoro in the woods." But like when he does bring them into the the woods and he's talking about um the the camphor tree and how like a giant tree um, shows him that this is a good place for his family to move and the the themes of it I think work really well with the '80s and what was going on in both Japan and here. Um, 
where like this rapid industrialization, it was really starting to be apparent that like rapid industrialization was really starting to destroy things. And these policies are like leading to mass environmental degradation. And this movie is interesting because I think that it connects that spirituality um, uh, with the actual like conditions of our, of our world, like our, the conditions of, of modern society and like wanting to get your family out of um, a situation where, you know, like the kind of almost like a sickness is, is going through everything because we've gotten so far away from the natural, um, the natural beauty and the natural order of things and the environment um, that, you know, but like, but both in, you know, like kind of regular Japanese society and in, I mean, our society too, but we never really had that. I mean, you know, like indigenous people have that kind of connection to like the land itself and like the, the forest and all of these different natural things. Uh, like Western Western civilization, like n- doesn't really have that as much. It's kind of antithetical, yeah. Uh, that's one of the things that I was, I definitely was going for. I think even in that letterbox, um, it, it's it's more like an illusion. Um, when I said like you know, it's, it's a, it kind of subverts the Western idea of a fantasy. Um, I think like um, I I was thinking more along the lines of the Grimm's fairy tales and mm-hmm. how like the forest and the woods were always seen as like these kind of perilous places where kids go and get lost and die and like uh, you know there was a witch that was going to eat them uh, there'll be a candy house and then they'll get like kidnapped and whatnot and so there was always this association of the forest with peril which kind of really neatly ties in I think to the idea of western civilization is like predicated on like you know man over nature man versus nature kind of like this aggressive I will conquer land and I will like um, have this kind of uh, su- supreme uh, man will reign supreme over nature type of relationship, uh, but I think well, like and, uh, like, and man and you know mankind or humankind uh, d- like needs to be in civilization because the outside of civilization, you know, right. the environment itself where we come from is so perilous that we need to kind of keep this order of like you know staying where you are, staying in the village, staying you know what I mean, like staying in your in your town, like not going into the woods, not wandering off. Which is also connected. interestingly the the plot of uh, the Shyamalan movie, The Village, right? Like it's the it's the <laughs> idea of like you'll stay within the village and like you wouldn't, even though there like it's interestingly the village and uh, uh, you're you're opposed to going into industrial society because you want to stay in like this prehistoric uh, time in the village. But uh, here uh, and the the one other uh, kind of like connection I wanted to make, which is something that you said, Forrest, which was that like uh, they're kind of dealing with their grief through the, the with the help of the spirits in the forest. And uh, I kind of, uh, instead of grief, I wondered if it had more to do with anxieties because they were like constantly afraid of what was going to happen with their mom. And uh, and it's also interesting yeah. to know that to- the Totoro and the li- two little uh, trolls that follow Totoro around um, are like, the, there's the big Totoro and then the two little ones, uh, it kind of very... Uh, neatly resembles either the dad and the two daughters or the mom and the two daughters i wasn't sure uh who that is it's probably more the dad and it's a mirror of uh their familial relationship i thought or it could also be a mirror of their fantasy or like their their kind of hopes and dreams and anxieties as it comes to their uh mom um so i don't know if the totoro is like kind of a, a sort of gender neutral uh parent figure or a or particularly referring to one or the other parent. Yeah, um, Nia, you got you got some thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that actually, and that's pretty interesting with the family structure. Um, yeah, there's definitely like a, a reference for nature that's a really important theme that you can see throughout, um, and that reconnection 
uh, I was just thinking also about how when May gets uh, goes missing, there's like a human directed search for her where they're trying to look through things using tools, uh, look through the uh, the pond and whatnot, and they can't find her. And then Satsuki goes to Totoro and asks him to help find her. And I mean, he's like a forest spirit. So it's like, she's like appealing to nature almost, you know, uh, asking the forest to help her. And he immediately, instead of being distressed in any way, you know, uh, just smiles and like takes off with her and it becomes like an adventure. As opposed to it being like this distressing situation, he like immediately flips it around. And that's like the whole story really. He's in every situation, he brings joy to it and makes it like a playful thing uh, when it otherwise might be scary or distressing. And when you see that in the bus stop scene as well, with mm-hmm. the rain coming down, the rain is like earlier, it's kind of, you know, an annoyance that they're trying to run away from and get shelter from. And they're standing out there and he's like playing with it, uh, <laughs> making more drops fall down just to hear the sound of it and stuff. Yeah, and there's that, and there's that really amazing uh, moment where she's crying, and she's like, um, "I can't, um, I can't find my like my my sister. She's gone missing. Like May, like May, she, we can't find her." And he just has that big mischievous, like almost uh, like Cheshire cat. Cheshire grin. cat, comes, yeah. yeah. It comes across his face, and then he's pretty much like, "Oh, I know what to do." Like you know, and then calls the bus, like the cat bus, which is like, which which we totally need more cat buses. Like you know, Biden's uh, Build Back Better plan was put into action. We'd all have cat buses going through our neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> the, but you can the, only call them if you you know reconnect to the to the forest spirits. The the other thing that I could also read the you know the relation the, the Satsuki going and calling um, for uh, Todoro for help. At that point, I also read as like one of the first moments in which she truly like submits to the idea of the spirit. Like before that, I feel like uh, she's one of those typical older sisters who uh, older siblings who tries to be the kind of adult between the two siblings. Like she wants to be the sort of almost parent figure to May when she's like when they're playing around um, and all of that. And that was like the decisive moment, I feel like when. Uh, she kind of fully gives in to the childlike inner child imagination, which I was, which is what I was talking about, and how like that entire episode of searching um, as the adults do, like in the pessimistic sort of way where the grandma's praying and all of that that's going on, uh, where she goes and like they just find her in this extremely joyful burst of like adventure, and that's how they also go and reach the mom too, um, and they happen to even inspire the same kind of imaginative like she says like i think i can see the two of them and the dad also says you know what maybe you're right and like in that moment all four of them end up like believing in the exact uh the spirits and the and the adventure and the the joyfulness of the whole thing uh which kind of makes me wonder if like the whole movie is like an allegory for like uh, finding or uh, getting in connection like getting in touch with your inner child uh, for the adults and yeah. for the child to retain um, that sense of imagination and playfulness the whole time. Like, there is no need for any kind of pessimism, which is kind of interesting, like, that it's coming from a guy f- whose view of life is, like, this bleak and pessimistic. Uh, maybe that's where you derive all the sense of joy from. Yeah, and and I think that... Um, well, it seems like a theme that Miyazaki talks about a lot in, in these interviews, where he's like, listen, I'm pretty... He kind of reminds me of uh, Zizek, almost, and, like, his <laughs> radical, radical pessimism. 
like you know you know what i mean like he, he kind of has this overly pessimistic view of the world but like loves children and wants to you know he's trying to um like there's a there's a documentary i didn't get to watch it because it's like two hours long and and you know i just didn't have time but it, it, there's a whole do- like i was i saw parts of it and it's about uh like the, the kind of the fight to stay to save studio ghibli like because they have they don't have enough people working there it's very funny that he's he's told his son to stop making movies because there's other clips where he's like we need more animators that want to do hand-drawn animation like we don't have enough of them they don't stick with it and then his son does it and he's like eh, not you but anybody else anybody else in japan that wants to come here and because he's he's very um very outspoken about the outsourcing of these animation jobs to uh to china to uh you know to north korea, korea is like, a big yeah. place hmm. north korea is a big place yeah, there's a fantastic graphic novel called uh, Piao Yang uh, that came out a few years ago where uh, it's about an animation uh, director who, who goes to North Korea to make sure that the production uh, goes pretty well for, for this uh, cartoon he's working on. Uh, he's a, is a Canadian citizen. And it was basically his entire experience there. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Um, Actually, because I, I, usually you hear outsourcing, you think like South Korea. So that's that's, that's no North crazy. Korea has a large animation studio. Whether you want to get it done dirt cheap, you go to North Korea. Wow, well, <laughs> I'm not. I guess I'm not. And, and they made reference to it in the uh, Clerks animated series too. If if you ever, uh, there's this great moment where um, I really they, fucking hate to tell you that I have watched the Clerks animated. No, <laughs> <laughs> so the one with Jed Nelson where where everything got really trippy. Oh, is it in the middle of the movie that you're talking about, or is it the actual show? Was it a show? It was was an animated series. There was a clerk that had six episodes. episodes. Alec Baldwin was in it. I'm pretty sure. Yes, he was. He was Leonardo. Leonardo. Yeah, he was the guy that ran the New Jersey town, and they made six episodes of it. And then everyone was like, "We don't want you to do this anymore." (laughs) It was funny though. That that show was hilarious. Well, North Korea being like a cheap uh, animation labor market is like totally news to me. I feel like we yeah, need to no, look into this more. Yeah, that's why I had to ask. Like Nor- North Korea, is North, a- yeah, both Koreas really, but like specifically, if you want it done dirt cheap, North Korea is where you want to go. Um, although okay, I don't I, think American like the, Miyazaki, studio- the Miyazaki interview, he's talking about South Korea kind of being a, yeah. a place that. Uh, like a lot of the works being outsourced to um but i have a question i guess both for karthik and nia um because i i don't know the answer to this um how much do you think that the dad was humoring them uh throughout like his his conversations and how much because the first thing that happens in the in the movie is the the soot gremlins right that are running around and they're like you know pretty much like you think that they're spiders and then the the like granny the granny character is like oh you know those are soot gremlins and they're ghosts you're like all right, so already we're like, you know, like that's kind of like it sounded like what you tell children, I guess, you know, like, oh, those are just the soot gremlins running around the house. But then it seems like she completely believes it. And like the house is basically haunted and they don't care that the house is haunted. And it's like, OK, like I'll, I'll buy that. So there are ghosts in this in this, you know, in movie universe. And um, but then the, the dad seems to kind of go, oh, yeah, well, those are the, those must be the spirits of the forest. And he gives them this thing that sounds like, you know, what you tell children. And I don't know how much you think that he's kind of tuned into that and how much it's kind of just humoring whatever, you know, the, the kids are saying, I couldn't really pick up on that. I feel like he's basically just humoring the children, you know, like he's as an adult, these are, I think things that he heard as a kid too, and what explanations he had and he's just parroting them. But the movie 
they are like real in the sense of the movie and that they're not yeah. just like the children's imagination. But I think, you know, we talked about how it's like about retaining your childhood or refining your childhood to some extent. I think that is part of it that the kids see these things because they have that sort of childhood spirit and the parents, you know, the, the older people have kind of lost that, but they can yeah. regain it. <laughs> it It is like, uh, I think, I think it's a kind of two part um, answer, which is that I think it's, it's almost like the kind of fanciful stories that you tell your child uh, uh, until you start believing it because you, it becomes part of your reality, right? Like, um, like we said, like uh, Nia points out, uh, in the beginning, it's it's kind of like the thing that you tell the uh, kids because that's how you raise children. You don't want to, you know, feed them your especially um, bleak view of life right from the uh, get-go. But over time, as you tell these stories, like how distinguishable is your reality? Like, you know, once you baby talk the kids enough and like once you tell the kids enough of these kind of uh, fanciful tales, like then they become part of your life and your reality as well, right? Like, so it's kind of an interesting way to look at uh, like the whole the saying the child is the father of the man type of uh, scenario where you're actually rediscovering uh, your own innocence and imagination through the act of like just raising children um, and I think the dad is definitely undergoing an experience of that sort and and definitely the mom too as we find out in the end right like um, I don't know if that corn that that say they find on the windowsill is actually a real cob of corn or like uh, and it even has the engraving for mommy. So it's kind of like the animators telling us without telling us that that's actually really there. It's not a, f a figment yeah. of anybody's imagination. That's real. So it's almost like it's the kind of thing that, uh, I mean, Forrest, you love Mad Men, which is like the, um, th this line is something that Don Draper delivers emotionally at one point where he says like, you know, that thing that you pretended to feel uh, when you feel it, it, it becomes like uh, a part of your reality and like it really moves you. And I think that's what ends up happening. They they pretended to feel that until the end, like because he's the kids are having such a good time and you're having a good time with the kids. And in the end, I think like he starts feeling it too, and the mom starts feeling it too, and then their lives become a lot more colorful. I feel like, which is the which is they're the just point. taking that cat bus all the time everywhere. The cat <laughs> bus is suddenly like, you know what? I'm sick of this. You guys have called me to go everywhere, and I'm I'm listen. I'm not here for you. It was cool. It was cool. Unless was you got there. treats, you got treats. I'll, 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 I might consider it. <laughs> so, uh, it, like, I'll, I'll ask you this, uh, guys this question: like the the one scene which is very, I think, one of the most outlandish of scenes uh, in the movie. I mean, all all of, there's several of them, of course, but uh, for me, the the craziest, which is like obviously the most magical of scenes, has to be the uh, the day uh, like after they plant the acorns and the acorns grow into this huge tree. Uh, the first thing that I noticed, and I don't know, I was, if just, this talk, is just, like, I was just talking about that with uh, with Nia, by the way, before you guys came on. I was I was saying that I, that's like my favorite scene. Yeah, and 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 I mean, like, I don't know if you uh, noticed that the question that I have is like, did you see that uh, the way it sprouted, it it looked like a mushroom cloud, and um, I was like, man, I don't know if he's like really just sneaking the imagery of the um, atom bomb explosion. Um, but it's like in the opposite direction. It's actually a plant. It's an impossibility of a, like a destructive event can happen like that so quickly. But here it's like a, a growth of a, of, of a plant, a tree at the same pace. Um, and it resembles it. It looks exactly like that. Um, and it also has the, it casts this huge shadow and whatnot. And that's also, I think, the one uh, event that 
is inescapable even to the dad, right? Because it's a direct view from their house. So obviously that didn't, I mean, if that could sprout overnight, then he has to start believing the forest spirits because that's not happening in reality, in his reality, at least. Now, have you seen um, uh, Nazca, the Valley of the Wind? No, not yet. Uh, I, okay. I, it's, a, it's an earlier movie, right? Yeah, it is an earlier movie. And, and just an uh, interesting fact about it before before I uh, bring up my point about it. Um, before he made the film, he made like 14 volumes of a manga to, to figure out what the story is. So, so like you can, uh, you know, I don't know if it's 14, but th there's a lot of stuff you can dig into. But the reason why I bring that up is that a lot of that film was about uh, nuclear war and environmentalism. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, so, so it kind of makes sense that like that's in his blood, uh, you know, and also, I mean, just, just, it, you know, Japan never got over us nuking them uh, for good reason. <laughs> well, so there's that, there's a movie that I haven't seen, but that was like kind of a, a similarly uh, another animated movie that came out also um, in, in, in 1988, which is Grave of the Fireflies. Mm. And, oh, so good. Um, so good. And, <laughs> You know, I, I was watching a, a you know a um, a video on on uh, Totoro, and they were kind of uh, talking about how that movie obviously is like a very destroyed um, version of of Japan, and this movie is kind of almost like an idealized, romanticized version of what you know Japanese society could be like. You know, rural again, connected to nature. Um, you never really like as much as. As much as throughout this, it's implied that they kind of decided to get away from the university system and, you know, like an overcrowded almost, uh, you know, part of Japan that was industrialized and they decided to move to the countryside, which, you know, I think a lot of movies kind of cover that. Um, uh, that's never really touched on like that. That's so it makes it interesting when the, the tree is kind of like a mushroom cloud and, um, you know, the, the mother is, is sick and part of part of me is always wondered if you know the mother being sick has to do with you know cancer mm -hmm. from the radiation that came from um you know the hiroshima uh nagasaki in, um, in my bake state yeah. i thought she had aids and <laughs> yeah. um i was very stoned the first time i ever watched this movie it's uh it's <laughs> it's, it's the it's the prologue to rent um <laughs> i thought it was cancer too when i like first saw it uh. I thought, I mean, I, I saw it when I was a kid um, originally. Watched it a bunch when I was a kid, really. Yeah, uh, me too. It's, but yeah. apparently there's a novelization and it's tuberculosis, hmm. which actually Miyazaki's mother had tuberculosis like at the time. So he was like dealing with that in his, his own life. So, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the story is really a reflection of his own struggles. Well, also, I mean... That's true with all of his movies, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the main, the dad, uh, what's his name? Whatever it is, um, he looks just like Hayao Miyazaki's father. So, like, yeah, it's very much like an analogy for his own struggles with anxiety and grief, uh, I guess. Well, not grief yet, but really like the stress. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that the mushroom cloud tree thing is definitely intentional. Either way, uh, and it kind of the way it grows is like an explosion, and it's like if you take it as being like sort of a representation of hope, it's like almost like an explosion of hope that happens. Um, and <clears throat> in that scene, it happens very quickly, but they are 
prefacing that with them saying like they didn't see any growth for a long time beforehand. Mm -hmm. A major uh, theme you see is these acorns from the beginning throughout the whole movie is acorns and how they're like kind of they look like gold, you know, like the way that they're depicted, they, they look like treasure. And I think, you know, they kind of represent growth and change, but also how growth happens slowly. You have to have like hope, you have to like maintain that hope and that faith. Um, and that that scene, I think, is sort of like just um, after a long period of hoping you see you see like the fruition kind of explode all at once yeah and that's what i always found so beautiful about that scene because like you know being a kid i think and like being really frustrated that things end up taking longer than you expect them to and uh and kind of like the world is is you know somewhere where you want everything to happen right when it happens and it doesn't and you can get very despondent you can get very frustrated with that as a kid especially because time seems to i think take longer um and it seems like throughout this movie, whenever they kind of have a an absence of hope, like May is lost and, and you know, no one can find her and everybody's looking and the worst could have happened and she has to travel. And like, even for an adult, you know, Granny says like it would have taken like three and a half hours to walk to the hospital, which I mean, I don't know. I've walked longer than that, but you know, whatever. But you get, you know, like when you're a kid and, and, you know, like I, I had time periods where like, um, like I'd be on a trip back from a vacation. And like, I remember like, um, my mom's cell phone died and she was on a, a, in a different car than we were coming back from a vacation. And it feels like always the worst could have happened. And you're so scared that, you know, you can't get in contact with somebody. And these feelings I think are like exacerbated by being a kid. So I always found that scene so beautiful that like, finally that frustration and like feeling like oh well maybe you know and and they're at that position where like the mom like they keep you know extending the mom's stay in the hospital and it's like you know um she's never going to come home and it, it feels to me every time i watch that like it's it's such a hopeful scene like all of a sudden they rush outside and then and they don't even believe that it's happening and the next day the the you know the plants have sprouted and although i would have been disappointed it wasn't a full tree but whatever <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I just always felt that scene was so strong. Well, I also think that that scene is a metaphor for how baked I was the first time I watched the movie <laughs> and the mother surviving. <laughs> it's like, like, you know, oh no, there's a sprout of hope in there. Uh, not a nuclear bomb. <laughs> you know, like anachronistically, I watched uh, Totoro after I had seen already this movie, Bridge to Terabithia. I don't know if you've uh, seen that. Um, yeah, in, in yeah, which... I watched it. I watched it in middle school. <laughs> I remember being very sad about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I was probably. I was no, probably we, read the, in, uh... we read the book when I was in middle school, and then we okay. watched the movie. Yeah, I was in like eighth, seventh, or eighth grade. I was uh, probably uh, in high school. I closer to high school, I think that was when it came out. Um, and uh, I watched Totoro like very recently, actually, not not too long ago, and I watched it again just now. Um, but uh, I felt like the every single instance of every time that they get lost or every time that, that May trips and falls in the uh, forest uh, is very ominous because like, we, we kind of are reminded of the fact that she's still a child and like all of them, I mean, even Satsuki, 
um, towards the end. And that's what made me uh, think like, and there's a whole theory of this uh, on the internet circulating. I don't know if you want to get into it, that like uh, the entirety of uh, which the which Studio Ghibli actually put to bed. So this is kind of no point talking about it, but uh, it's supposed to be about like uh, that Totoro is an omen of death and like the two kids are actually uh, dying at the end of the movie. And that's what's actually happening. And they become the themselves, the, et Shinto heaven. That wouldn't that wouldn't that wouldn't make sense for the entirety of the movie, which you know is about connection to childhood and connection, right, yeah, you know, like the spirituality. Of yeah, it's about dealing with heavier things as a child. I mean, yeah. that's really what the movie's about. And you know, yeah, it's uh, you know, death is pretty heavy, but like, so is a mom being sick in the hospital, you know, dying of cancer, or AIDS, or tuberculosis, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, like, especially after watching Bridge to Tarbithia, which is like uh, a story in which uh, the entirety of the fantasy is finally, I mean, like, I don't know if I'm spoiling it for anybody, but like, it's entirely revealed to be uh, a, a fantasy because the girl is actually dead uh, right at the beginning of the movie. And uh, something I was, I was kind of like worried and I was dreading that it was something like that and that I, that this would be the only reading of it, but uh, it's incredible that like, you know, the, that's one of the reasons why I also felt like it was kind of subversive because a lot of uh, fantasy um, in the kind of at least in the Western tradition seems to be have on its flip side this fear that like fear of mortality and like that, that you would lose the child, the child would actually slip and fall, hit their head and die because it's so easy. Uh, and and Miyazaki like, does, I mean, uh, does tackle that kind of fear, I think, and, and the grimmest fairy tale kind of things and like... um. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure it's spirited away where the parents turn into pigs and like, yeah, that's a little more, uh, I mean, it's, it's also very Shinto, but it's, it's this beautiful fusion of, of ideas. Yeah. But so I, I think that he does tackle that kind of, uh, that kind of fairy tale. I think within that movie, um, I think that's not what he's trying to do in this, but like, it mm -hmm. is, it is interesting that he has the range. He has the range folks. <laughs> yeah. And princess Mononoke, you know, also kind of, um, uh, kind of, it's a princess mononoke is a weird animal because um it has that those shinto you know influences that that uh, uh you know that that miyazaki grew up with and like you know he's he's like a uh you know ghost to to shrine on on christmas kind of guy um which is kind of, you know i don't i don't know how to really like translate it into anything else um but but uh wait uh, is he is he going to be talking to james lassiter in that that's kind of uh, or yeah, I don't the know guy. Um, so nice. this is this is uh he he was up for um, uh they gave him the, well I think he got I think he had multiple um Oscar kind of wins but um I think this is the one where they gave him like the outstanding achievement one which is like oh we skipped you at an Oscar like it's not it's usually not the the one that you know that you want to get you know what I mean like yeah but uh. I think it's that one, but this is this is a clip of him talking about developing the characters for this. In Totoro, uh, my neighbor Totoro is the. Is this based upon um, an old folk tale? You know the the legend of of these creatures that are only seen by children. Totoro wa desu ne. Totoro tsukuritai yori mo sono jibun ga imawade ko mushi shite kita nihon no shizen ni tai suru. 感謝と愛情を表現したいと思ってそういう映画を作りたいっていうのが出発点だったんです。あのバス停でお父さんが帰ってくるのを待ってると横に不思議なものがやってくる。そういうシーンの断片と
小さな女の子が庭に立っていると目の前を半透明の変なものが通っていくその2つのイメージだけがあってそのまま10年以上僕のスケッチブックの中に眠ってたんですそのバス停で待ってる子は大きいんですよねだってそんな小さな子があんまり小さな子がそんなところに迎えに行くはずがないからでも目の前をトトロが通っていく時に立ってる子は小さくなきゃいけない。で2人出てきてどうしようっていうふうに後で考えたらあ姉妹にすればいいんだっていう突然解決がついたんですけど、うん、そのどうしようのまま本当に長い間ほったらかしになってましたその10年間の間に随分自分の家の周りを歩いたり他のところに行った時にも風景を気をつけて見るようになりましたそれでこれはひょっとしたらあの映画に使えるんではないかとかそういうことで随分いろいろ食べましたからなかなか企画が通らなかったんですが企画がなかなか通らなくてよかったんだと思いますね、うん、キャラクターに関しては見たことないもんですから適当に書いてあのただ賢いんだかバカなんだかわからない大きなものでそれで、うんいるんだかいないんだかわからないそ。そういうものを作りたいと思ったんです。あの、スタッフが書くときに。ものを見てる目を書くな。どっか遠くを見てるのか、見てないのか。そういう目を書くようにっていつも言ってました That is pretty interesting that he didn't want、uh, Totoro to be looking at anything in particular. Because there are only, like, I think, a couple of scenes where、uh, the, the girls actually command Totoro to look at them by just, you know, after landing on his belly and like, just shaking him and saying, We need your help or under or what is your name.、Um, even then, I think like, he kind of looks like he's looking far away. That's true. Yeah, whenever I draw, I always try to make sure, like, you know, people's eye lines are focused at a certain level, at some, you know, or at something, you know.、Um, uh, I, I can,、uh, if I want to, I can draw eyes to make it look like they're peering directly into your soul. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the beauty of like being able to animate, right? Like, you can't get an actor to do that 100% all the time, but you can get an animated character to do that every time. I mean, Christopher Walken, though, he, he's always peering into your soul. <laughs> Al Pacino, yeah. I, I think, like, a lot of guys that I can think of, a lot of、uh, actors of all, I mean, like, all ethnicities, all genders, of course. Like, even Denzel, I think, like,、uh, is somebody that. He's, he's always got that thousand yard stare, though. Like, like, I mean, that's just one of his trademarks.、Um, that thousand yard stare, which is always、uh, incredible when he pulls that out. But、um, that, that's just, like, one of his. Go to bag、uh, of tricks that, that, that makes a Denzel movie a Denzel movie. And I love it. <laughs> no, the, the, the Simpsons, Simpsons kind of uses the thing where characters have the eyes facing in two different directions and they're not quite、uh, looking, looking at you. But, but they, use it, they use it a lot of times to like, show a character's feeling extra crazy. They have like Marge will be looking in two different directions at once or something. And then... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's also fascinating that he doesn't talk about it, but、uh, it's, it's like in every、uh, analysis, it kind of like it's, it's inescapable. How,、uh, I mean, there's of course the literal cat bus, but there's also like Totoro himself or、uh, itself、uh, looks like 
uh, Cheshire Cat um, in many occasions and like. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think we should be assuming Totoro's gender or that Totoro yeah, has. Yeah, has I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I, th- I think we shouldn't be. That's one. Well, of they, they them is their pronouns. Yes, <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, uh, but that said, like I think uh, it would be. Um, I don't know uh, what what uh, I kind of lost my point. But I was I was just trying to <laughs> I was I was trying to understand uh, yeah what what basically um, man I I just like I don't know what I was talking about but it was one second ago <laughs> I think the they them uh, point correction just like totally threw me off because I don't know <laughs> why I thought it was gender before um, and I should I, I mean like I called oh like, I did too I said he but I don't know yeah I was thinking about it I'm like eh. Um, but but yeah, that's also another reason why we don't know whether it's the mother figure or the father figure uh, because it could equally be both um, and in different interpretations. But yeah, well, I was saying the analysis uh, doesn't really uh, talk about Totoro as similar to Cheshire Cat, which kind of could be an interesting comparison. Well, the the cat bus is definitely inspired by the the Cheshire Cat uh, Alice in Wonderland thing, which you know is interesting that. Um, so I saw the most uh, awkward. I mean, every every fucking British interviewer that talks to someone from, uh, you know, like like anywhere in Asia is extremely awkward. But um, there was there was this British on the BBC. They did a, a thing with Miyazaki, and the guy's like, "So you've been called the uh, the the this is the worst question you could fucking ask, ask Miyazaki <laughs> if you know anything about it." But he's like, "You've been called the Japanese Disney," and Miyazaki just instantly bristles because of course he does <laughs> to that question but like but it is i mean you know as disney movies are kind of um an iconic uh you know uh not disney himself but like disney movies are kind of like an iconic look into certain styles right because they all have different directors they all have different people working on them and they're just you know these these snapshots i think of time sometimes not good times like the jim crow Dumbo characters, but anyway, um, kind Song of, of this, the South. <laughs> this snapshot of time, and in in a similar way, I think that uh, my neighbor Totoro and um, you know different elements of Miyazaki movies kind of serve that function. Like they they kind of capture a certain um, aesthetic and essence, and like this this you know it, it's timeless, but it also I feel like um, is expressing um, like like a like a like a snapshot and a moment. Um, rather than kind of uh, being tethered to, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know exactly how I wanted to phrase that, but um, I think Miyazaki films like work on multiple levels, where like you know we as adults can watch it and get just as much out of it as when I showed this movie to my children, mm-hmm. um, you know, who, who you know process it on a whole other level, and also are just like, oh, Totoro cute, Totoro cute, and Dad high. <laughs> no, it wasn't the same time. <laughs> but uh, but Nia has to leave at nine to go interview a porn star, which is probably much more interesting than interviewing <laughs> me on the show. So, uh, do you have do you have final thoughts on on anything you wanted to bring up that didn't get uh, touched on? Um, let me think about that. Um, I guess basically covered everything. Um. Yeah. Like in that interview, he's talking about the reverence for nature and stuff. Yeah, that really, that was really comes out as a theme. And yeah, I think dealing with distress and with problems in your life, he basically has like two main solutions in the movie, which are like 
your family, as well as a connection to nature. And the and, cat bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I guess you could say that retaining your childhood is like a third sort of solution, but it's all kind of like tied together. And like that, the connection to nature, I think there's a big part of it as sort of like being part of something that is greater than yourself, um, being part of something that is going to continue growing, that is consistent over time that you can have faith in basically. Um, yeah, I guess that's, that's all I have to yeah. say. <laughs> um, I, I guess, I guess one thing that I'd add to your, to your final thoughts, you know, putting it, planting the acorn, um, <laughs> um, like, you know, the envir environmental movement is taking off across the world, I think, around the same time that kind of this, this, you know, um, beliefs about nature are, and it's interesting that I think, um, you know, it, it takes it, it takes a, a different form in in the West, especially in the United States, because obviously there is the the history of indigenous people having a really beautiful connection to nature and every living thing, like you know, within society and retaining that despite like literally a genocide that you know we waged against against them. Like those ideas kind of still come through, but in in Japan, like the fact that they still have this connection, you know, um, like. Shintoism and this connection to nature and the spirituality really that comes with the environmentalism. So, you know, it's not just like, well, we need to, because I feel like the environmental, the environmentalism in the West and especially in the United States is like incredibly lackluster. Like, it's like, why don't we save the trees? And then this is like, no, we have this historic connection to um, the trees and, and the forest and this rural, this rural culture that kind of comes with that. And this much more simple way of being that, you know, is, is historically what we're doing. This is not historically what we're doing. Industrialization, ripping things apart, destroying nature in this way. Like that's not, that's not what historically we've done and, and literally is antithetical to the spiritual values. I think that we have. Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, yeah. Like the Western environmentalism is very liberal in the sense. It's very individualism mm -hmm. about how you as an individual live your life and yeah, uh, the 80s, Miyazaki, 80s Japan, like, uh, that was a time when that sort of individualist mentality was taking over in their culture. I mean, things used to be very different, and that became the main mode of, of thinking in that time period. And also demonizing, I mean, on, from, from this side of it, like demonizing Japan, because all of a sudden Japan had made such a rapid industrialization after World War II that we went from kind of being, and not to reference Mad Men again, but Mad Men has the, uh, you know, has has when they're pitching to the, the Japanese businessman and Roger Sterling kind of stumbles in and it's just like, and it's like, we fought you guys 30 years ago. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like, no, but like that rapid industrialization, the fact that there is um, such a long history and uh, spirituality that you can kind of call on and be like, this isn't, you know, this isn't who we are. Because, you know, with the US, that has always been who we are. Like, uh, like you know, I mean, Anglo US culture, like never had any connection to the land because everybody was coming here from various places across Europe being like, well, I don't want to be over there anymore. Can I push some indigenous people out and like create my own homestead that has no actual connection to the land, but like, you know, land as property rather than land as collectively uh, utilized resource that, you know, you're actually honoring because you're living off the land as much as the land is kind of living off you. Like it's, it's, I think this movie is beautiful for that reason. Something that's like uh, kind of, uh, I would say, 
significantly uh, it makes your point is the, is the concept of the arc as something that like you know you you are uh, saving all of the animals and all of civilization you they get to decide which you decide to which you choose to save etc like all of the beasts and uh, all of them are loaded up on this boat and that's all you have right like it's it's almost like you're completely distrustful of the idea of uh, the earth supporting you or subsisting you but uh, you have to make this boat the bullshit that you built and i mean i'm not deriding any particular culture or anything like that but the concept itself i feel like it's pretty uh, i mean in in a, in a way it's it's kind of extremely it's full of hubris i think and and that's one of the uh, important things about industrial society itself and one of the ways in which japan kind of got beaten out of that hubris was through brute force i think that like um that's something that they would i mean i don't know if they naturally arrived at that as much as the fact that this is like a post nuclear uh, apocalypse scenario for them like uh, and i and i kind of like you can't see totoro as anything other than that um in in any or or any of the miyazaki movies or any anime for that matter it's all like all there like all the time it's omnipresent so um yeah i don't know how it's 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 definitely a return to nature and a return to like the values of nature and family and you know your tribe and your and I, the title of the movie itself has the word neighbor in it uh which shows that your sense of community needs to be strong and uh, your connection to the land needs to be strong yeah but uh nia thanks so much for coming on um yeah, good you. luck uh good luck with with your episode that we took you away from for now right. <laughs> thank you for having me it was fun Pleasure talking to you, Nia. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, but but yeah, so um I have this uh clip I wanted to show um about uh you know, so I think Miyazaki is kind of I don't I don't wanna say claim, I guess, leftist. I don't I don't necessarily wanna claim Miyazaki the same way we claim Martin Luther King, but um he, he does <laughs> He has this. He has this. Um, a lot more collective. Uh, I I found this really fascinating. He's talking to another uh, very bumbling, uh, you know, Western. I think in this case, United States, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, interviewer, and mm. it doesn't usually go well. But also, I don't understand Japanese, so like, it's not like I can, you know. <laughs> you don't speak it like me in my Buddhist way. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so he has a he's talking about um, labor collaboration, and he mentions unions in this, and and the way that he views, and I don't necessarily think that it's the way that everybody doing you know animation in Japan, I'm sure it's not views um, the collaborative process, but he starts talking about that, and I find it really actually fascinating. And you know, Andy Andy is a is an artist, so I definitely wanted to play this for him. Um, <laughs> I know you, you, you've, you have said in the past that um, one of your goals uh, in making uh, your, your animated films is to give children uh, a kind of dream or the power to dream. And I wonder if that goal has evolved over the years or if that's something you started with uh, from the very beginning of, of making films on your own. Direction. 
the direct, my direction hasn't changed. Uh, rather than saying they're my films, I prefer to say that they're our films that we make. その僕らというのは今のジブリのスタッフのことを指しているわけでもないんです。えー、もっと前に自分が20代に仕事を始めたときに、そこで出会った人間たちと、なんとかして、今の自分たちがやっているくだらない仕事じゃなくて、本当の映画を作りたいと思った、その時の僕らなんです。ほとんどの人間はもう仕事に携わっていませんけども、やはりその時の気持ちが今自分の中で、あの、僕らの映画っていうふうに言わせてるんだと僕は思ってますけど。And it's not necessarily that I'm thinking of my current staff when I say our films.I'm thinking of the people that I started working with in my twenties. And when we discussed among each other that we want to quit making these、uh, trashy things and we want to make better films,、um, uh, that's, those are the people that I'm thinking of. Many of them are no longer working in the animation area or they've retired or whatever. Uh, but um, uh, it's those people, my old colleagues,、uh, that I think about when I think、uh, that I'm making our films. I know. 小さな労働組合があって、アニメーターの代表や、ディレクターの代表や、それから、インクペイントの代表や、カメラマンの代表、エディターの代表、それから、制作進行の代表、そういう人たちが集まって、まあ、組合の話もしましたけど、映画作りの話を随分しました。その時に、つまりアニメーターの意見だけではなくて、カメラマンの意見や、インクペイントの人たちの誇りを持ちたいという思いとか、いろんなものの上に自分たちの進路が定まるんだっていうふうにその時に思ったことがいまだに尾を引いてるからつい僕はその僕らの映画って呼んでしまうんです。Those of us who were directors, animators, ink painters, production people, all gathered together within like the labor union and discussed issues. So I think What we were trying to do is to make things that were satisfy each of our own uh, specific uh, roles, whether we be an animator or an ink painter.、Uh, and it's that, in that sense that I、uh, think that we're making our movies. Nice.、Uh, I know a lot of、uh, in Japan, like, like comics are also made with a group of people. Like,、uh, you know,、uh, Uh, By the way,、Audible. he thinks he thinks that people need to stop making uh, uh, manga as movies, like as animated movies, which is another funny clip I was going to play for you. But、uh, <laughs> which is weird because, like, Otomo, who, who, who、uh, you know, is like one of my favorite artists,、uh, very specifically,、um, uh, you know, actually worked on, like, directed and, and made the anime of his own book. Like, like, And I, and I think that's, you know, that, that's why,、uh, you know, Akira is so pure. But、um, uh, I just I, I just thought it's almost like,、um, I don't know, like like the various、uh, animated directors here, right? That will turn around and be like, yeah, they need to stop making comic book movies. Like, I'm, I'm tired of comic book movies. I want to see more,、uh, <laughs> more original content. So there's a, there's a clip that I clipped for, of that for you. But、um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Yeah, no, but it's, it's, 
you know, but the, but the thing is, those is both like uh, mediums are are done collectively. So like in in uh, manga, uh, the mangaka will like draw just the figures or whatever, and, and you know writes the stories and have the speech bubbles, and then another artist will come in and, and who just writes does the, the stories, buildings. got the speech bubbles. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he froze up there. That's great. Yeah, I did. I did. I freeze up. I'm on a. I'm on terrible Wi-Fi. I'm literally next to my fucking modem, and I have good Wi-Fi. And my Wi-Fi is every time I start streaming, just decides to fucking crap out on me. <laughs> it's probably like uh, use a cable or something like that. That probably yeah. I'm, I should easier. I should start doing that. It's literally I literally moved my setup downstairs to have it next to it. I I was I wondered uh, if the translator uh, was unsure of the word and that's why she paused in an awkward way. But she definitely had a very awkward pause when she said the uh, labor union. <laughs> it's like I, I don't know I don't know if that's like something. Well, I mean, Amy Klobuchar does not like labor unions. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, one, one thing I think is that I don't know. I to to stick up for the translator for my fellow white American. No, but <laughs> stand up for the translator. I would be fucking terrified as a, as a translator just to, to be Miyazaki's translator because he has a, a long history of deriding um, dubbed uh, Japanese movies where he's like, mm. they didn't get what I wanted to say or, or, you know, what the director wanted to say, what he wanted to say specifically too, like out of the yeah. movie. I mean, Princess Mononoke uh, was famously, uh, you know, rewritten by Neil Gaiman, who spent mm. a year in Japan to, you know, like really getting to know the culture to be able to, to write a script for the film. And the director of the American dub got a hold of the script and said, "None of these match up with what their what their lips are doing." So he rewrote the film himself. Oh my god! So, so Princess Mononoke, the uh, the the um, uh, except for the wolf played by Gillian Anderson, uh, who, who's absolutely brilliant, like like the most shining part of the film. Which, by the way, shout out to Gillian Anderson being one of the few American actresses that have ever gotten uh, a commission to play a British person rather than the other way around <laughs> when she played fucking Margaret Thatcher in The Crown. <laughs> but yeah, no, J Gillian Anderson is fantastic, but but like she, she got this great role. Um, I actually uh, saw Neil Gaiman speak in person right around the time that... Uh, you know, the version came out. So, so he's kind of speaking very candidly about this. And he's just like, like uh, any, he's like, all my words were, tr uh, were completely rewritten, except for the words of Gillian Anderson, which I'm afraid that she's going to be typecast as a giant wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say there weren't any gay pirates in uh, a callback last episode when I was Oh, the weird thing Stardust. is there's no gay pirates in the book, uh, Stardust, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> So the, Robert, Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro, just this time, and he's like, I, "I've I've had this dream role for a while. <laughs> I've wanted to be a gay pirate. Can you work that in?" Yeah, yeah, cross-dressing gay pirate. <laughs> I think I always will remember Howl uh, from Howl's Moving Castle as like voiced by Christian Bale. I don't think it's like um, even possible to think of Howl as. I, I I mean I don't even I haven't even heard the Japanese voice for Howl, but like I feel like it just got immortalized as like a Christian Bale voice for me. I mean, especially after like hearing his double vo voice performance in Batman and uh, as Batman and, you know, as uh, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of almost like... <laughs> <laughs> my, um, 
my my mom i mean i've talked about well you can see one of her pieces right behind me over there um she's hmm. my mom's like a multimedia artist and she really she's really actually conquered several artistic mediums i think but um <laughs> when i was a kid one of the ones she was really into is um she wanted to be a, an illustrator and she like you know she she created like a bunch of children's books that um she didn't end up publishing but she was really into well she was really into neil gaiman but she was also really into um uh miyazaki films so i you know i watched all of them a bunch of times as kids and like i feel like uh i i think it was princess mononoke that probably traumatized me because that's the one with the heads right there's like a bunch of heads that get yeah that's a dark movie that that one's not made for children yeah so because i remember watching spirited away a bunch of times i remember watching howl's moving castle and then i remember how are you i went on a date with my wife to see uh uh, I mean, we weren't married at the time, but 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 we went on a date to see Spirited Away. Like, what are you, eight? Well, it came out in in two thousand one, right? Two thousand four, two thousand four. Oh, uh, House Movie Castle. One of the one of them came out in late two thousand one. But um, yeah, yeah, I think that was when I first started. Because I know Mononoke came out in ninety nine in the states. Um, uh, it was like two thousand one, two thousand two when when uh, Spirited Away was released. And um, geez, uh, I don't remember uh, House Moving Castle, but I do remember I won an advanced screening. So like I got to see it a week before everybody else did in this country hmm. and then uh, wrote a review for a sci-fi magazine. Very cool. So yeah, you can find it on SF Review. Wait, which which qualified as sci-fi again? Which of the movies qualified as sci-fi? Uh, of of uh, uh, his movies, though, I mean, honestly, most of them are fantasy. But I would say Nausicaa uh, uh, of the, uh, yeah, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which mm. is a mouthful. Um, uh, but but that one is definitely sci-fi. The others are, are hard, you know, fantasy. Yeah, yeah I feel are. like he's more like a surrealist. <laughs> like he, he he strikes me as a surrealist um, rather than like as a full-blown fantasy. Uh, filmmaker because like his, his stories are like very interestingly very firmly rooted in the ground uh, i mean like no no wonder he's talking about labor issues and all that right like because he's like not really departing the uh, the reality in which he lives uh, he always finds a way um, firmly to be planted in it like uh, i feel like one of the things that is distinct uh, distinctively different from i mean even if he was talking to john lasseter um, who had like three cars movies and i don't know he's like a canceled figure so i don't know if it's like cool to be admitting to this at this point i'm like a huge cars fan i love the i love all of them and I, even even the bad ones like even the ones that got poorly reviewed um i kind of like really uh they you know, like larry the, the cable characters. guy the the ma- the character <laughs> the mater mater tomater is like someone who i i just like absolutely enjoyed as a kid uh and i love lightning mcqueen um but that's how I feel about Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear. Oh, as, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, I mean, not, not in the same. I mean, Tim Allen is not canceled in the same exact way, though. I mean, Tim Allen is probably because he's like a Republican and what, whatnot. Well, he, I feel he, like. he said he said at one point that uh, this is 1930s Germany because he's a conservative and people don't like his stuff because he's a conservative. It's 1930s Germany. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, wouldn't he like that? No, just joking. But, <laughs> um, but more like J- James Lasseter, where I mean, all the movies that he has been associated with. I assumed that with, he was the Nazi in that scenario because <laughs> uh, all of the you know uh, stuff that James Lasseter has been associated with, uh, in a kind of way, I mean, uh, 
do have like that sense of uh, childlike wonder in them and especially cars if you if you read uh, Roger Ebert's review uh he feels like literally one one of the reasons why i also de- felt validated about my interest and love for cars was how uh, rave reviewed uh, it it came out by Roger Ebert like he just like said some of the coolest things about it he didn't uh he didn't like legend which is our last uh, episode <laughs> we did he said he said and this is my favorite Roger Ebert quote i've ever heard and my mom the other day um my mom the other day uh, i was talking to her about um I, I think I think it was when I was watching the Legend video of, of uh, Siskel and Ebert, and she was like, "Do you remember when I used to say that you were eventually going to be just like Roger Ebert?" And I was like, "I just said the other day, one day I'm going to be the leftist Roger Ebert." Like I posted that, and she was like, "You are, don't worry." But um, he said, uh, it's, "It's an amazing quote." He said about Legend, um, he said, "It's one of those movies you either get into right away or you don't," and I didn't. Favorite <laughs> <laughs> Roger Ebert quote. <laughs> I think uh, interestingly about either Cars 1 no I think it's definitely Cars 1 not 2 because Cars 2 he actually said some even cooler stuff but Cars 1 he said like James Lasseter sorry John Lasseter uh, sounds like a guy uh, who is in touch with his inner child um which is I think I mean I don't know that if that's like in in a way it seems a little naive to be applying that label to Miyazaki because like he does seem to be an extremely uh, comfortable person in his own bleakness uh which is why i feel like in this case the optimism might have a far more radical sort of tinge as you uh, as we see like it, it is actually rooted so more so much more firmly in reality it's not escapist at all uh he's not looking at this as like a sort of way of running away from the problems that they have but to actually uh have have these be creative solutions almost like which is yeah. kind of what is interesting i think yeah i'd agree with that um so this is the 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 manga and uh an animation uh clip i wanted to play for andy <laughs> i want to talk a little bit about uh format um some of you here tonight may be uh uh fans of what we in america call in a very broad term anime or animation that comes from japan yet as many of you know uh most anime films uh are based upon manga series or graphic novel series uh and yet um uh, Miyazaki-san has a, more or less abandoned that approach basing a feature film on a manga and gone his own way developing his own ideas as original feature films and I wonder why uh, why have you chosen to do that? Manga no omoshiru mono wa manga de michireba in the background. Sore o animation ni suru te ma nanka soko de ko tashika ni tsuke kuwaeru koto wa dekiru ka mo shimasen ga yappari nanka eh Uh I think um uh, we can just enjoy manga by reading uh, manga as they are. Um of course if you animate it you can perhaps add some uh features uh, to the manga. Uh but I think if you can avoid making manga into animations it's better. Ano manga to eiga tte no wa desu ne animation wa jikan to koukan no kankaku ga zenzen chikan mon nan desu. Sore wo kokoro e nai to 
つまらないことをしてしまいます。つまらアニメーションを漫画に書いても別に面白くないし、漫画をアニメーションにそのまま写し書いても面白くはないんですね。時間と空間が、こう、限りなくねじることができる。誇張したり、縮小したり、飛ばしたり、いろんなことができるのが漫画です。でも、アニメーションはやっぱり、現実の世界を、ここに現実の世界を私たちはこういうふうに絵で描きましたっていう作り方をするもんだと僕は思ってるんです。時間の流れも、それから空間のありようも。それで映画になるんだと思いますが。ですから漫画と映画っていうのはやっぱり違うんだっていうふうに、僕らは映画の方に属しているっていうふうに思ってます。ちょっと長くなりすぎました。Yeah. Uh, uh, Film, uh, animation film,、uh, have very different concepts of time and space. And unless、uh, you are very aware of that,、uh, then the、um, ultimate、uh, product can become very boring and uninteresting.、Um, you have to、uh, know that、uh, the sense of time, in terms of expanding time or condensing time, stretching time, And space as well is very different、uh, in the two、uh, media.、Um, in animation, and, and in, especially in manga, that sense of、uh, expansion or con、uh, con condensation of time is a very uh, 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 salient feature.、Uh, for animation,、um, we are very intent on showing that we have drawn this, that time and space flow as we have drawn. The,、uh, Um, uh, frames. Uh, so I think that's the important、uh, difference that we need to keep in mind. That's very important. That's like some Scott McCloud shit right there.、Um, uh, I know Forrest. Understanding you know, manga. <laughs> which is,、uh, I don't know, did he actually write that? <laughs> I know that's a book. Understanding comics is a book. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's, well, that's Scott yeah, McCloud's book.、Um, yeah, that's the Scott McCloud reference. Uh, but, but, but,、uh, you know, discussing how, how、uh, time works in comics,、uh, and especially like, like、uh, what we don't quite understand as, as how manga is published. So he just、um, continuously puts himself into manga. <laughs>、um, but now,、uh, manga is published、uh, very differently than how we, we、uh, digest in the States. Because here we buy individual comics, and then those、mm. get collected into graphic novels. And then, like, they just go on for,、uh, forever and. It doesn't matter where you, you know, you just start. Where, like,、um, uh, what, what you do is, is you don't buy a monthly comic from Japan. You buy like a, a, a digest with like a bunch of stories and then you vote for your favorite one. So, right now, One Piece, for example, is the most popular mangaka uh, in. Um, well, sorry, that's how, that's manga that's in how we used to do.、Um, I, like, I, and I'm sure that this is global. I'm sure this isn't just, you know. But like pulp, pulp novels, right? That's how, you, that's how they used to write those stories. Like the stories that would end up becoming the noir genre of film,、um, they would, those stories would come out because they would have these large compendiums kind of that you would get every month of all these different、um, pulp novels, like novelizations. But those were never meant to be collected, though.、Uh, whereas、uh, yeah, they, they, were. These... they 100% not... were. Some of them were, but not, not, all,、uh, of not all of them. Well, sometimes、uh, you would just have a. Sometimes you would most of the time, a, they were just standalone short stories. Yeah. Well, sometimes you would just have a novelization, but there was also a, a similar、um, a, a format with some of these. They would have them in kind of almost like a magazine format where they would give you a bunch of stories and you would get sometimes either、uh, the story would continue every month or 
like or or you would get them as um most of the pulp books though don't have continuation story from month to month there were some those were the minority um the, the, that did exist beforehand uh with like uh dickens was was like that uh you know uh T tell for two cities and and mm. uh shit was was uh published you know ser uh serialized Seriously, right, yeah um but but uh a lot of those pulp books were just like one and done because like what if you went to the newsstand and you can get the next part? Um, they, they, they didn't always have the guarantee that you're going to stick around because a lot of those publishers weren't around. So uh, most of those were like one and done stories uh, and, and rarely were they serialized. So um, magazines are, are a thing. But I don't uh, know. I don't know if I'm like, uh, sorry, yeah, finish your thought, Andrew. Sorry. But, but yeah, no, um, the mangakas are uh, always a continuation. And if they are popular enough, they'll stay in there. Uh, so like Shonen Jump is the, the most popular one and the fans actually vote for the stuff, uh, which again, you don't have that kind of interaction. So, so you don't know who's the most popular one other than by uh, the letters that you might receive. There are four, there are four uh, successful pulp magazines, Argosy, Adventure, Blue Book, Short Stories, and a lot of the stories that we get from certain noir films. Cause I took a whole class on this. Um, a lot of the, the, the shadow was one of them. Like, they they have um, a large uh, con like a contingency of ones that before pulp novels were given as a singular pulp novel, they would actually have these short stories. Yeah, that would get adapted. Eventually, I think that's where where it evolved. They started to... before before pulp novels. They started yeah. in the hundreds. But okay, yeah. Well, the the dime novels are a little different than because uh, yeah, I think the dime, I... Novel, the dime novels were different. I'm talking about pulp magazines. Yeah, no, the pulp, uh, the pulps, as as they're often referred to, which were like the predecessors to the comic book industry. Jack Kirby worked for. Um, you know, I've I've you know looked at a lot of these, and very few of them are like a continual story. Yeah, those it, are pulp, those are those are a different thing than what I'm talking about. There's okay. pulp magazines but, that were short short stories by authors that would continue over time that were serialized. Hmm. eventually they got the yeah but that's not the pulps didn't start well, off the other that way, way around it, it started as a, as a magazine thing it started in the 1800s and you would get a, a a monthly thing and the story would continue throughout the months and i i took a whole lecture class on this but by the time you get to the detective era stuff it was it was a very different model yeah. because no yeah, yeah, yeah publishers would just pop up so, so like they 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 don't know if they're going to pub even publish. No, you're a, right about you're right like about an issue. That. I, I mean, right about, that, that's what like right like the Ninja Turtles, for example. When when you know, I, I'm just just because I know this one off the top of my head. I don't know my pulps as well. Uh, uh, you know, to, to cite an example like this, but the very first issue, of the Ninja Turtles, they kill off Shredder because they didn't know that there was going to be a second issue. Um, they go giant mousetrap. <laughs> that, that that is actually what they did with the Mausers uh, in the next storyline, but. Um, if you know your Ninja Turtles, um, the only, but, the only but, reason why I'm, I'm pushing back on some of this is because I took a, a class and I know that the professor, yeah, I, I but also like that I've been like, Hey, you should watch movie night extravaganza. You should watch movie night extravaganza. If he ever does. And I look like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I, and, and I, I'm actually, you know, I wonder if we're talking about two different types of pulps. We definitely are. I'm talking about um, like, the shadow. like the shadow amazing stories and, and, uh, weird tales. A lot of them are one-offs. A lot of them yeah. are one-offs. I mean, the, uh, like, the stuff that, that, you know, yeah. like connected to comics, uh, which is what most people refer to as the pulps. 
uh, yeah, nowadays. Well, it wasn't just that. There was a whole bunch of different kinds, but like stuff like the shadow that were serialized, they would continue. And and I was just looking at. But again, it on, like large, a lot of these, like like they were short stories up until like they, you know, uh, for for a while too, because that's also yeah. how people bought them because they, you know, um, in the in the 30s at least, uh, where, where like you know comics kind of came out of. Um, people yeah. weren't always going to have that extra dime to buy the, uh, uh, the stuff. I mean, you know, 30% yeah, I'm of the population. About, I'm talking about like 40 years before that, uh, starting in the 1800s, like in the 1890s, there were these like serialized pulp magazines. And, and then they the became the, these, uh, uh, standalone stories, yeah, 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 which is yeah, where comics came out of, which is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So what I was bringing so, up. When people talk brain. about pulps, like, like there are plenty of, ch uh, you know, YouTube channels, like, uh, Fizzfop, for example, is a great one that goes over a lot of the uh, the pulp stuff. Um, you know, uh, and he he does do stuff from the 1800s, but he mostly focuses on the characters that were popular in the 1930s and 40s, um, which is what uh, today we we tend to really think of as uh, from the pulps. But then there's also amazing stories and weird tales, which were also short story sci-fi. Um, yeah, you know, birthed uh, science fiction and and modern horror. And they also they also ended up kind of becoming like this almost um and this is later but they ended up becoming almost like what we think of as like airplane books like you know what I mean like they would mm -hmm. have the the books that you'd like buy at the airport or something you're like oh well I have a, a book now to read on an airplane that, yeah so they they went in all directions and it's kind of it's kind of crazy because it's it's kind of the first mass one of the first iterations of like mass entertainment but the the, the big difference is that they didn't have that that voting that uh, that uh, uh, manga yeah. has in Japan. Like, like people aren't like saying, oh my God, I, I love, uh, you know, I love, um, uh, uh, and I'm just blanking on the, the, the big one there. Um, one piece. Is that what you're... One piece yeah. One piece, yeah. which is like, like the most popular. Um, and, and people, you know, vote for that every month, which is, you know, why we know what, which one's the most popular, which one's the second most popular because yeah. it's, it's voted on and uh, that one wins every single time. Um, and so the studio that, that, uh, uh, one piece and one of the interesting things about the the mangaka who who creates one piece uh he actually when he publishes the books which is what what we usually see in the uh, in the states he actually takes the time and it has his people redraw parts of it um but like their their uh stuff in the uh um in Shonen jump is usually like like much cruder so uh you know interesting you know we get the we get the polished version basically yeah it's it's kind of like uh, I I also noticed that uh, Miyazaki is I don't know if Miyazaki stuff also became manga or like how he feels about it or if he's also created, but it seems like the the shot uh, making in um, in in all of his movies, but more so in this one, uh, is that there's a lot of still like images in which the character like has a brisk sort of lively motion, like either crossing the frame like this or like you know going up and down or like diagonally cutting the frame um and i and i think that a lot of the manga at least like comics um that i know of and like uh, that have been translated into the screen um tend to have a lot of abruptness in the shot switching itself like that that he, i feel like he has a lot of long shots so i think that in general it's almost like paul thomas anderson uh making a film with a lot of smash cuts i don't think it it's gonna it's going to work because like that's a guy who uh sets up a shot for like 10 minutes at a time and uh you know or like sets up uh 
uh, I, I, I mean, like even Paul Thomas Anderson wouldn't wouldn't make sense in this respect. I'm I'm kind of blanking on who could be a an analogy in like actual uh, filmmaking. Uh, I mean, like Chloe Zhao uh, certainly uh, does that with with uh, Nomadland. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, she has like long know, tracking just, shots. Yeah, definitely from just just you know one off the top of my head. Right. But, wow, but I wonder Francis who has like a... climbing on some rocks. <laughs> but I wonder who has like this stable a gorgeous shot. film, by the way. I just have to say, yeah. for all the I hate on that film fucking constantly on the yes. show, and it's a gorgeous film. It's a absolutely shot every like, and and she's kind of dressed very neutrally. Like her clothing is very neutral when she's in the desert. And they and and it's still shot beautifully. Yeah, and, and also like like the lighting that they get because like it's just after the sun goes behind the horizon line, so so the colors on the landscape are washed out, but the sky is like on fire, yeah. and so you have this wonderful contrast between the two. Um, and, I hate and just... how fucking nicely that <laughs> is shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like there's never been a be- more beautiful uh, film about poverty, right? Like that's the whole point of it. Uh, no, but but that said, like I was I was wondering, like just to be on the topic, like, those money, y'all. <laughs> like having a very still backdrop and having like some really energetic, lively action happening in the foreground. I feel like is this the kind of thing that I'm talking about? Like she also has a lot of tracking shots, and like sometimes the motion in the foreground is kind of synchronous with the background as well. Like it's not very fast. It's not a lot of contrast in the amount of energy that the background brings us to the foreground. But I feel like Miyazaki sets up a very, very stable shot for like five minutes. It's kind of like the same type of motion, but the characters are just like just jumping around and, you know, having so these kind of very lively actions. Um, and I don't know if that will like necessarily translate very well if you if you were to draw that as a storyboard. So I actually wonder how his storyboards would look. Well, I mean, hey, you know, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. You have you a perfect example right there. Talking about his storyboards. Hmm? I said, you want to see a clip where he's talking about his storyboards? <laughs> I did, in fact, grab one of those. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and I, I did, you know, want to say, like, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind is a perfect example of him actually doing the, the manga uh, before mm-hmm. he did the, the film. So, so like, he, he is well-versed in the medium of comics. So, so like, if he's going to discuss the, the difference between the two, he is absolutely, like, a, a, a you know, you know, understands both mediums so well because he's just done it. Although he hates one of them. No, I'm <laughs> In uh, the United States, um, animation films tend to be uh, storyboarded or the storyboards tend to be uh, done by a group of artists, uh, a storyboard by committee, if you will. Uh, but I know from uh, I know that you do your own storyboards uh, yourself. Um, do you think there's an advantage to having a single artistic vision uh, dominate, essentially? America do a storyboard that a group で、ミュージックスのやり方は自分でストーリーボードを書かれるということで、そういうふうに一つの一人の、え、一人の、え、そういう芸術的なビジョンっていうのがあるっていうことが非常に強力な要素ですか。いや、あの、日本ではストーリ
まれにそのストーリーボードマンとそのディレクターが分かれていることがありますけども基本的にディレクターの資格というのはストーリーボードを全部自分で書けるというのが条件ですね。ストーリーボードが出来上がってしまえば彼がいなくても大体映画はできるっていうふうに多くの人が思ってます。<笑> In Japan,、um, it's a normal method、uh, to have the director、uh, draw the storyboard.、Uh, occasionally, there's、uh, different, pe- uh, different people working on it、uh, somebody who writes, draws the storyboard and somebody who directs the films. But that's not the,、um, the usual method.、Um, and in fact, it's almost a condition、um, to become a director,、uh, to be able to draw the storyboard.、Uh, so if a, a person can't draw a storyboard, thenはい。But also, kind of the understanding that like one person is going to be creative master and storyboard by committee fucking sucks.、Mm. Storyboard by committee, like in the US, is, is not a good system, I don't think, a lot of times because a lot of the jokes and, and, and like, you know, comments and lines have to be storyboarded to the point where they're toothless. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's definitely hard to create a film that speaks to everybody and isn't just kind of referencing other things. So, I, 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 I find it, you know,、um, his kind of definition of, of the roles that people play within, because I think these clips are, I don't remember if they're back to back or if they're kind of a little bit, I think they might be a little bit separated. The one we watched before that about、um, uh, when, he's, when, he's, when he's talking about,、um, yeah, like,、uh, I, I don't, I, I just, I, I think it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, Question about like the development of a film itself. And like, because storyboard committee, storyboard by committee in the United States a lot of times has to do with money and like, you know, everybody kind of having a say because it's the same thing with like sitcoms, like、right. where everybody in the room kind of has a like, oh, you want to make a joke? Well, everyone's going to dumb down your joke until the point where, you know, the, like the dumbest person in the audience could understand it. So it's like, I don't know. So that's what like, makes I, I feel like I'm gonna go, go, on a, go out on a limb and say that he is kind of being a little bit of a diplomatic person.、Um, I think that he probably wields a far tighter control than he's letting off.、Um, it, it's, it's extremely unlikely that I think like, to have the kind of consistency that he has.、Um, I mean, like, I don't know to what extent the Pixar movies are,、um, you know, in, in, in a sense, a collective project.、Uh, well, well actually, a... I know the answer to that one.、Mm-hmm. Um, when Steve Jobs founded Pixar, he put the bathroom in the middle of the building 
So everybody would have a chance to meet. And, oh God, I fucking hate this story. <laughs> um, but but his whole idea is like like um, you know people would like meet by the bathroom and have discussions about what it is they're working on, um, right. which which is a weird way of like manipulating employees to to, to bring stuff together. Um, but but he's also like see that's that's what I'm it's like Steve Jobs is uh, is probably a good example to draw a parallel with because I think he's also one of those guys who's uh, who gives the impression of collaborative work but it's like it's extremely dictatorial like he I mean, he was yeah the no he's say what the bathroom is yeah <laughs> and like I think I think the interesting thing about uh, what Miyazaki is pointing out is that like I feel like it's 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 less of a kind of collectivization. Um, answer and more of like a diplomatic well i won't exactly tell you how this shit works type of answer because uh it does seem like you know the visual consistency the the metaphorical this every con the narrative consistency that these movies have had like i mean for 35 40 years now um i don't think it's possible if they even as much as had another figure have as much as control as he has like i think he probably has like insane amount of control uh to the extent that every every card every storyboard goes through him or something like that you know and, and that's From the kind of thing that the bathrooms mm -hmm. are everywhere at studio ghibli <laughs> <laughs> except that he goes to every single bathroom that's the, yes. that's the point yeah my bathroom no, our bathroom. <laughs> he's just like he goes when everyone takes a shit, and he's just like, "Yeah, well, I want to know what you're working on." No, but well, it's no, like, but his his view of centralization seems very interesting because it's not when he said it in the first clip, right? It's not that everyone has a say, and they uh, kind of all collectively decide choices. Is that everybody has a role, and hmm. their roles collectively play into the whole of something, which I think is a, is a much more when it comes to creative work. Is a much more, um, uh, like a much more honest and a much more um, introspective view of whether something's centralized, right? Like, because when it comes to storyboard by committee, who the fuck is in that committee? It's the people that are like, you know, uh, kind of presiding over the work. Like, it's a bunch of producers and the writers in a room together deciding whatever. That's why things are so toothless. You know what I mean? So when so when is each person kind of understanding their role and and playing the full uh, capacity of their role? It's not like we're we're sitting around workshopping ideas. It's that there there's a whole that's already understood at the beginning of it, and everyone is working towards making that whole as beautiful as possible and as good yeah. as possible. And if you have a, an idea, and you're the person that's doing like the audio editing, and you like kind of bring your idea to the table. And that idea is, is beautiful and everyone wants to agree with it. And like, you know what I mean? And it makes the, the thing better. Like it, it suddenly becomes our work because it's not just a bunch of people sitting around a table, like in a boardroom being like, well, right. that's going to piss off this person. And this is going to piss off this person. I don't want to do it that way. It's, it's rather everybody kind of realizing I want to be the best audio engineer I can be. I want right. to be the best, uh, you know, editor I can be. I want to be the best writer I can be. And bringing that to the table and kind of collectively creating something beautiful. Now, I'm sure if you have an idea for something and you want to bring it to people higher than you and say, I have this idea, you're 100% welcome to do that. But it's not kind of this, this fake version of it where it's like, you know, everyone with money, like everyone submitting money to this movie suddenly is sitting around a table and is like, yeah, well, I work for this, you know, I have investments in this company. 
I don't think you can make that McDonald's joke, which is mm. what, you know, storyboard by committee is. <laughs> right. No, of course. Yeah. I mean, like to that extent, I think he, he, you're right in that, like everybody can probably weigh in, in that capacity, but like they cannot weigh in from the capacity of like having a corporate sponsor, et cetera. That much integrity, I, I think he absolutely, uh, it's, it's exactly what he's saying. But I'm pointing out the fact that like, I don't think there's a single shot or a single frame or a single even image that can go on the screen if this this guy hasn't okayed it. I think that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Like, which, and, which and, is I think the, and I think even in egalitarian creation, that would be the case, right? Like the, the idea that something is egalitarian, the idea that it is kind of collectively decided on it's it doesn't mean that hierarchy in that sense will be abolished like right it's that everybody does have their ideas taken in and everybody does kind of have their uh ideas considered in their own capacity and then creating a whole piece kind of comes down to like you kind of have to uh, buy in to the to the person at, at the top of it i don't think that you can really create i don't think that egalitarian creation in the sense of like everybody says, Hey, I don't like this. And then, you know, that has to all automatically like, you know what I mean? Like then there's a vote on it. I don't think that that kind of creation works. I think you have to kind of buy into the fact that somebody as kind of a genius creator as Miyazaki, I think is um, like has to have the final say and has to kind of create the, the overall idea of something that everybody then collectively um, is bringing their best to. And, and I think that for leftists, for socialists, like I, this is a conversation that does need to be had at some point hmm. because I, you know, at some point, if everybody in, in, in a place has their, um, has equal say that doesn't necessarily provide a good product in the end. And it kind of ends up the same way with, um, you know, I mean, even, even with, uh, like, like unionization and the way that that's going to work in the end, like you're going to have to create, like you're going to have to um, all collectively decide that somebody is the person that collect, like that, that, that is part of the collective like bargaining in, in mm -hmm. a certain situation. Like there always is going to be somebody that kind of everyone like decides democratically that this is the final, yeah. the final person. Yeah, You decide on the process and you make sure that everybody's aware of the process and this is how things work. And we, we've got to do it like that. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I can get behind that. Um, I wonder, like, I mean, um, you, we, we should probably, like, do do uh, something of his uh, at some point. But, like, I've always wondered uh, that the kind of distinction between uh, Miyazaki and uh, Satoshi Kon, who's younger uh, than Miyazaki. And, like, I feel like the, the kind of movies uh, and, the, and the, the kind of uh, concepts that both conceptually uh, in terms of the narrative and in terms of just the filmmaking and the shot selection... I feel like they're they're completely different while still retaining a similar sort of like artistic quality uh, that like very ex exceptionally high level uh, artistic productions. But um, like a movie like Paprika, I don't think uh, Miyazaki would make because it's like extremely um, like disjunctive, like disjunctive, like it doesn't have uh, the same kind of fluidity and then the landscape filmmaking that Miyazaki has. And I wonder how that, uh, like Satoshi Kon, would approach, uh, you know, like storyboarding and uh, shot selection in that sort of way, because uh, the shots, as I said, like that, that kind of he has more of a tendency to be even okay with like smash cuts and kind of 
you know, more abrupt scene changes and things like that, which Miyazaki kind of maintains a more flowy narrative. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen that, but I'd be willing to do an episode on that, like, and, and talk through that and talk through the differences. Well, um, what's this movie again? Paprika. Paprika is like, uh, and he also made famously, I think, Tokyo Godfathers. That's like supposed to be the big movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that one. Yes, that that's a beautiful movie. Uh, it's been ages since I've seen that one. Paprika is like, uh, to me, um, a far more uh, accomplished uh, version of, you know, Inception and Dream uh, as reality and like filmmaking uh, th that concerns like dreams and uh, interpretations uh, in, a, in a far more like skillful, masterful way than like Christopher Nolan can even dream of. And like, that's why when Inception came, Inception was like basically a three-story building compared to... Um, like Satoshi Khan's Paprika, which was like all over the place. Like, and and yet there was such a coherent logic. Also, I'm um, watching the trailer right now. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> this dude just like split into two and then exploded into. It's an R-rated movie, also. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Miyazaki, I don't think has ever made like an R-rated movie. Yeah, such, uh, uh, Mononoke was PG-13, which is probably mm -hmm. the closest he ever came. That's like the darkest he'll get. Um, uh, unless unless his next movie is, uh, you know, that he's come out of retirement for. He's he's gonna do. Uh, uh, you know, his version of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, <laughs> but we're, we're about to hit the two-hour mark, so um, I'm going to ask Karthik, uh, do you have final thoughts on this? Uh, we've gotten... Oh know, man, I'm so spoiled by the uh, the, the one-liners, uh, one but um, I before know. we do that, yeah. let us not forget, uh, you know, if you're watching us right now, please subscribe. If you have an Amazon Prime account, please subscribe with that. It doesn't cost you anything. But it helps us out, so you know everything. Everything's good with that. Um, uh, Discord is coming, and uh, if uh, you would Discord rather, Discord is coming. If you would rather, agree on everything. Uh, hit up our Patreon. Discord, Discord with all three of the <laughs> Discord with all three of those. Um, you know, but uh, if you want to hit up our Patreon, uh, Patreon.com/slash Movie Night Extra, or is it extravagant? Yeah, Movie Night Extra. I'm okay. Sorry, I, I should also I should also say that we'll be back tomorrow with uh, Never Ending Story, and when we get off, I'm probably gonna watch Never Ending Story again because I want to revisit my childhood and having ear infections. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Karthik, um, final thoughts on 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 this movie on Miyazaki in general. I would I would like to do more Miyazaki stuff in the future. I mean, not just because I watched them um, as much as I did when I was a kid, and and you know. Part, parts of things are definitely like left out of that uh, remembrance. So like I, I enjoyed revisiting this tremendously because of that. But yeah, I think uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on, of course. Uh, and and uh, I think like I would love to be part of any Miyazaki discussion. And I I mean like if you decide to do Paprika or uh, any of the Satoshi Khan movies, that'd be pretty cool as well because it's like a, an R-rated Miyazaki. What would it be like? I mean like you don't even have to look to look any further because. Uh, he is the right there as an example. And I don't think Miyazaki would make an R-rated movie because I feel like his audience, uh, he wants an, a more universal audience uh, as is evidenced by his universal message, uh, which uh, to me, I mean, like, interestingly, I can't, I can't believe that, like, he actually takes such a, uh, he takes such offense with uh, translation or uh, dubbing because I think it's one it's very rare that you find a, a filmmaker or an artist in the vernacular to be as translatable as Miyazaki is despite the and, and I think that's largely because his images do the talking um and uh the 
it's 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 always like been fascinating to see um the interpretations of Miyazaki in juxtaposition with like um a western version of the story uh, where i think totoro is like definitely got lots of uh, alice in wonderland in it um he made uh, kiki's delivery service is supposed to be uh, sabrina teenage which uh, kind of there is a lot of parallels uh, and also it's a completely different treatment than like i mean anything it's a, it's a slog uh, i'll be honest yeah. with you that that one is like one of the the more boring miyazaki films and um, you know I, I granted i've not seen the uh the 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 subbed version i've only seen the dubbed so you know there there could be uh there could be a difference in the uh with with the, with the translation so yeah and and nobody like, plays how, single seed how's moving castle i don't know if i'm like reading too much into it but like there's a lot of wizard of oz kind of feeling feel to it uh ponyo is supposed to be like reminiscent of little mermaid and things like that so um there is like a direct which are culturally i think which are culturally diverse stories i don't think that necessarily um, right yeah yeah, yeah yeah any 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 of they're not derivative stories. yeah but like you it's it's very interesting yeah. to see them together because you almost see the very clearly the cultural divide and i think where miyazaki is coming from uh he i mean like i'm lately starting to think uh, as much as like there is a a humanist radical sort of optimist uh radical pessimistic optimism uh, as an oxymoron in Miyazaki's films uh, but on the other hand there's also a sort of traditionalism or conservatism in his like return to family return to community yeah. like, small community kind of um, I, and, and, and I think that that's kind of um a spiritual conservatism which you know I don't think we talk about enough like I, I think that we kind of consider conservatism uh within this 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 bubble of like you know return to family return to culture and I think I, I don't necessarily get the feeling that like the dad in this, um, you know, he's still working at the university. It's not like it's a return to, to this rural life yeah. so much that it's like um, abandoning the life that he's made for himself. Assumably life that he's made for himself. He continues with, right? Like he wants it's not to a rejection his, of modernity. Yeah, definitely. He, he's, he, it's he, a, it's a rejection also of like industrialization, which you can see even in that Miyazaki clip that we watched, like uh, a rejection of this kind of, um, relentless pursuit pursuit of profit that like you know comes out of things that that i think um i think gels with like a, almost like a kind of leftism like a kind of uh you know return to the land itself return to understanding of the spirituality that is an interesting corollary to the like to the much more rural i think conservatism of the u.s um because I, I I think that you can I think that you can be incredibly uh, egalitarian in in the way that you treat community, and I think you could be incredibly um, uh, like progressive in the way that you kind of treat um, the people around you and 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 the world around you. Like it's not like they're returning to a place that their family is from, right? Like they're returning to a place that they've never been before. That they're like, well, let's buy a house here, which is it's it's an interesting. Um, acceptance of of the society around you as kind of uh all-encompassing and uh your own position in it or your own location in it and not so much rooted in in a place or like in tradition that you yourself kind of overbear on the people around you in in kind of like this conservative way but on just the idea that like industrialization itself kind of has taken us away from the, the this feeling of um you know like like this 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 uh environmental you know this environmental conservatism i'd say like this this idea that we need to 
you know, be back in nature, but not necessarily the nature that the the, the nature that like, uh, you know, for generations we've been been wondered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What what I think is uh, also the flip side to that, which is what is interesting about Miyazaki and I think uh, his surrealism in general, is that um, the child leads uh, the adult. And I think that's like something, uh, it's the opposite. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's like, it's, it's a little flippant for me to be saying that it's the opposite in Western uh, kind of fantasy. Uh, but in a large part, I think, in large part, I think it's like uh, either escapist and or um, a sort of child becoming an adult kind of narrative that is prioritized. Uh, but I think in, in Miyazaki's case, and it's the case of uh, a lot of, I think, uh, a lot of post-colonial kind of fantasy also I've like seen um, where uh, the younger um, kind of inhabitant, the younger uh, resident of community, uh, the child uh, tends to have uh, more of like uh, optimism, uh, more uh, imagination and more uh, kind of like new ways of thinking that can be nurtured and cultivated and it's almost like saying that the adults would be better served by learning from them rather than like to shutting them out and saying that, you know, you know, listen to me and like follow along uh, in my way. That's why like it's almost kind of it. Fe- I, I'm hesitate to call him a conservative because he's definitely not a conservative in that respect at all. He's not telling the child to follow in his direction. He's in fact like kind of um, the, the as we said earlier, like na- my neighbor Totoro is almost entirely a uh, the child kind of bringing them all around uh, to embracing the uh, wildness of their imagination and seeing and deriving a lot of joy and optimism from that. And I think uh, that's why that's why it's set against such a bleak and ominous sort of narrative because you that's where you need to derive uh, the optimism and joy from. And uh, I think like uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like I'd like to see uh, you know a lot of his movies from this sort of lens and see how each of them compares. But I think My Neighbor Totoro definitely. Uh, fits the bill for this type of narrative yeah and and uh Suzuki at, at almost like pushes back and says like oh she thinks she saw Totoro and right. the dad is like the dad is like well you know the forest spirits like and I mean that that is the way that you kind of that's why I asked that earlier like the way that you kind of uh you know uh humor your kid but at the same time like it does also feel like it's kind of almost like a return to this almost uh religious and spiritual yeah. uh uh, like acceptance of nature and the acceptance of you know nature itself kind of has to consent to our presence and hmm. and Shinto actually does actually believe in um the spirit of the nature like mm-hmm. like like different um uh uh oh, I'm Wait, I should have set this up Andy final thoughts <laughs> um okay <laughs> I, I'm just gonna uh give a very rough uh definition of Shintoism here so so you know I apologize to anybody who knows uh far more than I but uh this will at least kind of get us a better understanding uh Shinto does believe in like I said a uh type of spirituality of nature uh which which is presented by different types of um creatures which which are almost like demons or, or spirits ghosts what you know whatever you want to kind of define it as um and this movie uh very much you know, uh, the fathers obviously, you know, practices Shinto uh, in some form. Um, you know, we, we don't really, they don't really delve into that, you know, like, like uh, too much, but like the way he thanked the, the, the trees, the way he told the story of, um, you know, how, how trees and people used to be friends. Um, that's very Shinto, uh, but it's, it's a, uh, it's an everyday lived Shinto and not like how a Shinto was taught and practiced. So, so you're getting a, a very, um, 
uh, a, a more like like um, uh, like a, a, a layman's view of what Shintoism is in Miyazaki films, uh, and specifically My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. All right. I mean, I I I think that's I think that's cool. I think this I think it's a it's an interesting. Um, I mean, looking at like indigenous beliefs in the U.S. and and how probably I mean they probably did kind of expand, which from, is a little like, different than Shintoism, but no, there, there's, not, not there's similarities. Like no, I, I don't, but I'm saying know. like the idea that kind of everything in in nature kind of has a spirit and you need to honor it, and and I kind of find it fascinating that like throughout these different cultures that are like ancient cultures not really european culture but kind of everywhere else right like there is a a very like there's a connection that kind of organically evolves to nature and to the land in which you live on and to um you know i mean it, like it kind of sucks being a a carnivore that lives on you know it lives in the world and and believes that everything has a spirit and the fact that we kind of have to honor everything that you know when like I mean that's like the more you know Native Amer like Native American view of things like we to honor things that we eat like it it kind of for me has always been kind of beautiful like this environmental um, idea of everything and yeah but he he kind of brings up the concept of like us corrupting nature's spirit through the way we're living which you see yeah. that more in say uh, Spirited Away for example uh, with especially like the scene of the bathhouse where she um, pulls out all the junk from from this uh, water uh, deity. Yeah. But uh my um my last final thoughts are gonna be to you, Andy. And what I'm gonna say to you is, what are you, a great big soot gremlin? <laughs>